Hi, this is Allison from Boston, and I would rather marry Pat Robertson than listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. And verily it was said, good times were had by all. Welcome to the show, everybody. This episode 127 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, feeling well, feeling well-rested, feeling well-behaved, Brittany Page. Uh, I don't know about a couple of those, <laughs> but yeah. You're not well-rested? Uh, I'm not well-rested, no. No, okay. No, I but feel a little tired. Are you well-behaved? Yes, I'm always well-behaved. Good intentions as well, maybe? I didn't say that, but I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. What, what your intentions are. Uh, yeah, I always have good intentions. Oh, that's good. Like I said, episode 127 on this May 31st. 2015 back from our sick day i am back you take a sick day and then i automatically have to take a sick day (laughs) that's good right yes it's not it's not often that that happens no like i said over the course of a year and a half we've had three separate days of two a week shows and we've only missed three times in total that's I don't want to say that's big time, but uh, it's good. It's certainly, that, that's performance-wise, that's a good deal. Nonetheless, I am back. Oh, boys! I'm back! Bigger than ever. I'm bigger I'm back. I'm better I'm back than ever. I'm back. You fuckers, I'm back. Fuckers. And I feel great. I'm feeling much better now. (laughs) And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. So maybe it'll be another 50 episodes before we need to take another day. Because right. we are going on a trip here this next week. Mm-hmm. We'll be gone for, for sure, over the course of three separate shows. Mm-hmm. So one will absolutely have to be done on the road, but I'm thinking we'll probably only do two and then do the third when we get back, because mm-hmm. we're getting back on a show day. So anyway, we'll uh, look for that, everybody. There might be a wacky cast of characters, or it might just be Brittany and I trudging through (laughs) and doing the show. But yeah, I'm feeling better. I feel good now. So maybe it'll be, like I said, another (laughs) mini episodes before we have to go through that. Right. Well, and it'll probably be sooner than that since you love to eat like expired foods all the time, <laughs> which is probably why you got sick is that, this last time. Is that your theory that I ate something that is uh No. was expired? No, I don't have a theory. I just that's maybe that's well, what happened. You're just a weirdo 
uh, you won't even drink milk that is on the day or even the day before the sell-by date. That's only with certain kinds of stores' milk. I only. Oh, that's o- right. You you break it down. Certain stores, you won't even drink the milk that's three days before the expiration. No, date. not three. It's never three days. It's probably like two or one days before. <laughs> And that's only from certain stores, but I will definitely not drink milk that has expired. You're right. Well, so you don't em- employ the the smell test. No, I do, but the thing is I don't always trust my you're, own you're ability sniffer. Sniffer. yes to discern between a non-expired milk and an expired milk. Well, I worked with a guy for many years who almost killed himself in a car accident. And subsequently lost the sense of smell. That is not good. Oh, I well, you don't you don't you think? Oh yeah, what a bummer to not be able to smell stuff. But think about the how you have to live your life differently. I mean, he 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 couldn't tell if something was bad by smelling it. He'd have to just fucking throw it away. Yeah, I, I mean, mean <laughs> I, I can see one positive to that, and that is, you know, you would never run into a situation where you are awakened by farts. Hmm. Because I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay. You would probably know about inflicting that on somebody. We don't know for sure, but we'll just say that maybe that's happened. I doubt it. But that is one benefit for that person. So that's one positive. (laughs) Never awake from farts, huh? Awakened. (laughs) Awakened by farts. But I think the reason that I am the way that I am. The sound of farts? No, I mean choking on the noxious (laughs) gas. And c- becoming God awake. And you are <laughs> melodramatic like none other. Okay. You act like it's a sarin gas attack from the Bashar al-Assad fucking regime. Yeah. <laughs> Is there no, a problem? You're not walking that back at all. No. Huh? So, so the reason that I am the way that I am with the expiration date on foods is because of the way I was raised, I think. And my mom, we would approach her and say, hey, you know, this this is expired. This has been expired for a couple weeks. And she's like, oh, that lasts forever. Just go ahead and eat it. And everything was all oh, lasts forever. It never goes bad. And so I grew up just right. probably eating rotten food constantly. And well, now I don't want to live like that. Well, so you've built up resistance to the whatever bacteria might uh, have uh, worked its way in to said food. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. Well, we were talking about you getting sick, not me. Listen, I don't eat a lot of expired food, but there was an occasion last week where I drank milk that was two days past the date. And I don't just drink it like, ah, that tastes a little funny, but who cares? I smell it. I do a little taste test. And if it's good to go, then I I hit the town. Yeah, but it wasn't good to go. It, it was, was certainly good to no, go. No, it wasn't. Because after you drank it, it, it was a couple minutes later where you were like, uh, I don't know if that was a good decision. <laughs> yeah, that happened. So well, I don't like wasting quarter gallons of milk. I understand. It's not good. Yes, So I agree. Nonetheless, all of this notwithstanding... Your humble host is ready for the fight, back again, and in good shape. Why don't we do a call? What do you say about that? Yes. Last, well, not last episode, because last episode I was apparently uh, filled with rotten milk 
But the episode before that, we talked about spiders and Brittany's her freakish weirdo fear of spiders, even the smallest of spiders. And we got a call. Hi, guys. It's Kathy from Boise. And I just wanted to side with Brittany and let you know that I will not put on a pair of boots that have been in my closet for maybe a few weeks without wearing them, without turning them over and shaking them out because I don't want the spiders that may be inhabiting my boots to bite my toes when I put my feet in them. So anyway, Brittany, I wouldn't walk on the beach either for fear of hypodermic needles. So Uh, I'm with you. It was the hypodermic needle talk is what it was. Yes, but it also (laughs) expanded into spider talk, but... Yes. Thank you, Kathy. Thank no. you for agreeing with me. And I do the exact same thing with my boots. And if I don't, because I don't have time or something, then for the first couple hours I have them on, I'm thinking, oh, is a spider going to crawl up on uh, my leg? God or, damn. Yeah. Well, they can, they're, it's back in the closet in the dark. And there's all kinds of stuff going on back there that I don't know about. All right. Well, anyway, thanks for the call. If you too would like to sound off about anything we talk about on this episode, or any previous episode, you can certainly do that, 657-464-7609. Or you can do as caller Kathy did and email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. A little bit of follow-up before we move on. A few episodes ago, we talked about a study that had been commissioned or done uh, that dealt with voters and their opinions about gay marriage and whether or not they could be swayed by way of a short 20-minute conversation with someone on the issue. And they had canvassers go out who were gay and talked about these particular issues. Well, their findings, according to the study, as we talked about a few episodes ago, were groundbreaking. They'd never been done before. Well, when certain institutions tried to replicate or duplicate the study, they were unable to. And so they went to one, the, the co-author of the study and said, hey, could you provide us your data because we'd like to look into this and we're having a hard time doing what you did. Well, why don't you take it away, Brittany, and explain kind of what happened from there and where we are now. Right. So the co-author is Michael LaCour, and this is um, a graduate student at UCLA, and he has been forced to respond to allegations that he fabricated the data or right. that something happened didn't, that he's not being honest about. Didn't his co-author kind of disavow the study and he's he's completely backed out of the deal saying that he doesn't support the findings anymore? Yeah, it's a little complicated cuz Michael Lacour is saying that the the co-author with him on this paper answered a question on some document that stated, yes, I have reviewed this. Yes, I'm giving the go-ahead for this graduate student to go Mm. ahead and move forward. So there's some accusations being leveled back and forth. Sure. But what's happening with Michael LaCour is that people are digging into his background and his story. I did see a statement on Twitter or Facebook where he said, give me a few days and I will respond to these allegations and these charges. And I guess he's done that. But in the meantime, like you said, media organizations have looked into different grants that he claimed he had gotten, and he's he seems to be 
in my estimation, kind of a habitual bullshitter. Yeah, that's what it's looking like, according to uh, the media and what they're digging up. So online on his website, he has his CV uploaded, which is his academic resume. And it Mm -hmm. lists the research that he's been involved in, the grants that he receives. And it turns out that the largest funding source that he's listed on his CV is made up. Wow. Like, it's not a funding source at all? Or he just didn't have any affiliation with that particular... They, it came from a foundation that said we did not provide a grant of any size to him for this research. Yeah, wow. So they came out and said, yeah, we did not give him the grant that he has listed on his CV. And then another instance happened um, where he has apparently made up a teaching award that he had listed (laughs) on his CV as well. And now this one's interesting because the author of this report that found this information, he emailed Michael LaCour for comments. And Michael LaCour said, hey, can you hold off on publishing this thing about me making up this award because I'm getting ready to release a planned statement. And this person from New York Magazine that found out he made up this teaching award said, well, unless your statement is going to directly address the fact that you made up this teaching award on your CV... No, I'm going right. to go ahead and yeah. move forward with publishing this. Awesome. Shortly thereafter, the author of this article had a browser extension installed to notify them whenever Michael LaCour made a change to his site. Oh, wow. And it, <laughs> it, it pinged them and his website's link to the CV, which had been taken down, went back up and it was a changed, updated version. Wow. So he's just trying to... Trying to cover his tracks ex post facto. He's after the fact trying to change history. <laughs> right. Because then he responded, I'm not sure which CV you are referring to, but the CV posted on my website has not had that information or the grants listed for at least a year. But they still were listed. But he went and changed it and right. then wrote that email yeah. back to them. Yeah. So he did end up releasing a statement and it's long and I'm going to kind of wait to see how it all you know, kind of pans out because everyone's debating everything right now. But there was one point that he made that I don't necessarily agree with. He said that he had to delete his data because that is part of the protocol. But even in his statement, he says that the protocol is to delete confidential information in the data set that could potentially link the person that was involved in the data collection. Right. Whether it be the canvasser or the person who was canvassed, the canvassee. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be confidential right, and yeah, private. Absolutely. Their addresses, their opinions, their names, everything. Right. It doesn't mean you delete all of your data. Just identifying information, like their address or their name. Right, as long as the data is confidential. Yeah, you give them a number or something. Then it's fine, as yeah. long as there's no way to trace it to a name. So right. he's acting like those are the same things. <laughs> that you need to delete all the data because that's confidentiality. And he's a doctoral candidate at UCLA right now. What it seems like is he's just grasping at straws trying to save his ass here. I thought that's what was happening when he said he needed several days to, to I guess, in my, what I thought was kind of come up with, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta scramble here and figure out what kind of a defense I can make for myself and then come out and release a statement. And that's appears to be what's happening. Right. And I read a, an article today by an academic that said if it is true that he deleted this data, that he may very well lose a job that he just got in academia. And oh, wow. that they believe it's possible that he will have his PhD 
revoked by UCLA. Oh, so wow. So I don't know if that, that would will be end big. up happening. But that would be big. And I think, you know, if his PhD is surrounding, was based on the research that was done, then I think that could be justified. But if it's something related to something else i think that might be a little harsh if he because he actually put in the work and did what he needed to do to to fulfill the requirements of the phd program from which he graduated then yeah yeah i don't know i don't know so this is just a good lesson to not fabricate data don't be a fucking liar and then also yeah don't (laughs) lie on your cv because when you get some sort of notoriety in the media people are going to start digging right well listen embellishment is one thing but outright lying and pulling a george costanza from seinfeld where he gives out gifts at christmas time that a contribution was made to the human fund in their name and then he just made it up (laughs) you know what i mean yeah that's essentially what he's doing i'm just i'm making up awards that i've gotten yeah that's brazen yeah crazy all right our next piece of follow-up our last piece of follow-up for this particular episode is it's a big one it's uh moving into the back to the duggar fiasco part two of the duggar fiasco and everything that has gone on since last we spoke. So just in case you uh, didn't listen or you have been under a rock for the past two weeks. Oh, yeah. Give some give some background. Josh Duggar is a child. Uh, well, he's an adult now, but he is one of the children of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar, who are the parents on the TLC reality show 19 and Counting. 19 Kids and Counting. Yes. And just so everyone knows, all 19 kids have a name that begins with the letter J. Uh, well, they're lucky because there's a lot of because they're uber Jesusy. There's a lot of J names. You got Jebediah, and you got Jesus and Joshua. He got Joshua. Do you have the names there? No, I don't. But one of them is Ginger with a J. With a J. <laughs> so apparently, they're not that many yeah. names. Janelle to select and Jillian. Them. Well, I'm thinking of of men. There's a lot of. I guess I was just thinking very sexist that. All the, the, the males got Jim Bob names. I didn't know that the women also got the J names. If you could check your privilege, that would be That, that would, would be, be great. really good, but it's unlikely. Okay. So <laughs> one thing that has come out is Jim Bob, he used to be involved Fucking in Paul. Jim Bob. Sorry. I, I just can't. Really. You're just playing right into the stereotype. Jim Bob Duggar from Arkansas. <laughs> Yeah, so he was involved in politics. I don't know if he still is. Well, he, um, he ran for Congress for a, a congressional seat in Arkansas. I know that. And he also had a 2002 campaign for U.S. Senate. Oh, okay. Asa Hutchinson, I think, won that race. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't know anything about that. So what's interesting is Josh Duggar, the the son of Jim, Bob, and Michelle, he's been accused of... Uh, child molestation he admitted to he, ad- he he vaguely admitted to he didn't come right out and say yeah i molested him he said i acted inexcusably blah 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 right as far as i'm concerned he is an admitted child molester right so some of his victims were his sisters yes so i, I think four of his victims were sisters one was a family friend so a little incestuous stuff going on there yeah and what has happened is now the media is digging things up yeah well they found um there's a there's a a website out there that's like web archive or and this goes back to what we talk about that everything on the internet when we talked about sharentine and people who want to 
put their kids' lives out there, and some of them who have serious medical conditions that could be, you know, some form of embarrassment for them when they get older, that, that never goes away. If you have a mommy blog, that shit never goes away. It's always there. And this is another testament to that because the web archive of Jim Bob Duggar for his Senate campaign in Arkansas, there's a web archive page of his his stances, his views on certain things. And there is one in particular from his website that raises concern about incest, child victimization that, well, I tell you what, read read the, the couple of sentences, because it's a long paragraph, but read a couple of the sentences that deal specifically what, with what his views are on crime and punishment related to this particular issue. Rape and incest represent heinous crimes and as such should be treated as capital crimes. Rape and incest represent heinous crimes and as such should be treated as capital crimes. In this country, in most of this country, we prosecute capital crimes with the death penalty. They are subject to the death penalty. So under Jim Bob Duggar logic, he thinks that his own son should be prosecuted for a capital crime. Well, so here's what's remarkable is this is from his 2002 campaign for U.S. Senate. Right. Josh Duggar was molesting his siblings from 2002 to 2003. Yeah, while this was going on. Right. So he felt this way. He was making this proclamation knowing, well, I have a son at home that is involved in incest. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, they were protecting him when he's coming out and saying that people who rape and are involved in incest, they should be punished with a capital. Right. They should be prosecuted of a capital crime while they're sending their kid off to help remodel a house to get him out of their house. Right. Yeah. Not contacting the authorities in any substantive way. Terrible. Hypocrite. Yes. Not shocking. No. That he's a filthy hypocrite, but... Well, it is funny because that Matt Walsh blog has been going viral and it says uh, the Duggars aren't hypocrites, progressives are. Well, what is more hypocritical than this? Yeah, I'm th no, I, you're right. <laughs> and then speaking of everybody going and digging into everything that Josh Duggars ever said or done, this was on YouTube. So in the clip, he's going to reference Jana, Ginger, and John David. And he's referring oh, right. to his siblings. <laughs> right. So those are his siblings that he's referring to in the video. Yeah, I guess I should give a little background. This is a clip from the show 19 Kids and Counting. And he's talking about having to have a chaperone to go to a movie because he's going to be on a date or something. Or go to a movie. I, I don't know. They're going to be out in public. So he needs a chaperone. But the one chaperone was too young to get into the movie because it's PG-13. Or something. Fuck, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, he makes an incest joke in the midst of this 19 kids and counting clip. Ginger was chosen as our chaperone, and then she had to be pulled off because the movie we were going to see had to be over 18. It was a preview screening of a good movie. And uh, anyway, that's the reason why Ginger was on our chaperone. So we chose Jana and John David. We thought, why not have a double date? Arkansas. We are from Arkansas. No. <laughs> we thought, why not have a double date? We are from Arkansas. No. <laughs> so he's making a joke about having a date with his siblings. Yeah. Listen, I, I think that this is kind of the in the aftermath of something like this. This is the problem is that all this stuff is going to get dug up. And I, I don't know that I think this is that big a deal. I mean, it's he made a joke 
on, you know, they're from Arkansas. I, I don't know. I just, uh, on its face, I don't think it's that big a deal. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's sickening and it makes me sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sickening and it makes me well, sick. I think it's callous and he's like, you know, he knows inside that he has committed acts of incest. Is that a thing? Acts of incest? Yeah, yeah. Um, he knows inside that he's done that and then he's making a joke about it. Like, ha yeah, that happens here and like, almost trying to skirt the issue and, and talk about it while getting away with it. You know what I mean? So kind of in a, in a demonstrating or exhibiting some kind of sociopathy. Yeah. In some way. I, I kind of see what you mean. I, I see what you mean. It's just, I don't know. It's gross. And yeah. he knows what he did when he's making that joke. He knows that he's been involved in that. Yeah, yeah. And, and no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And he knows other people don't know. And that's just like a creepy thing. When you watch it again, knowing that, it's really creepy. Well, also, when you watch it again, knowing that his family is going to watch that and his victims Ugh. are going to watch that. That's yeah. That, to me, is what is really uh, yuck, you yeah, know? he's just exceptionally creepy. Yeah, he is. Well, also, you know, there was a lot of backlash relative to all of the different supporters of of Josh Duggar. And one of one of which the most famous was Mike Huckabee, who spared no expense. I guess it was a Facebook post, so there wasn't a lot of expense, but he he didn't spare any words in just heaping praises upon the Duggar family right. and supporting Josh because he was just a kid and God forgave him. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's 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 not perfect. He's just he's forgiven mm -hmm. because he's a Christian. Well, George Stephanopoulos sat down with uh, Rick Santorum, who we will get to in a few minutes, but who recently formally announced his, his bid for the presidency and had some questions for him regarding this particular thing. Let me ask about something else in the news. Last time around, uh, when you ran, you had the support of the Duggar family. Senator Rick Santorum will fight for small businesses and bring American jobs back home. We had that revelation last week. I was just wondering what your reaction was I to was it. I was sickened by it. I was just sickened by it. Um, I, I, I pray for those girls in particular. To have gone through that is uh, just hard to think about. Uh, what is so hard about answering like that? I don't to that know. question. I don't understand why everyone feels this impulse to defend Josh Duggar. Yeah. I, well, listen, I mean, listen, there's a lot to, bad to say about Rick Santorum. I mean, there's more bad than, I, than there is good, I believe. However, he stood up here. He did the right thing. He right. said the right thing. And the cynic in me wants to say, well, you know, he saw what happened to Mike Huckabee. Which was not a good sitch. Yeah, it was fucking terrible for that guy. <laughs> He got eaten alive on social media by not just opponents of his, right. not just political enemies, but mm -hmm. by supporters. Yes. They weren't happy. So the cynic in me sees that and says, oh, well, you know, he saw what happened and he acted accordingly. But I got you got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt that he's he's doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Right. So good for him. That's, that's awesome. And it sounded genuine. Speaking of sick, he you know, it sickens him and it should sicken everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Duggars recently, someone released the education plan or part of some of the education that they were being indoctrinated into because they're all homeschooled and whatnot, you know, um, and it's sickening. Yeah. So documents about sexual abuse have been published 
by the Advanced Training Institute, ATI, and they have been recirculating online because this is a program that the Duggars are actively involved with. It is a, a conservative Christian homeschooling program. And People reports that ATI's parent organization, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, runs the facility where Jim, Bob, and Michelle sent Josh for counseling, quote-unquote. Right, right, the counseling. After they learned of um, him sexually assaulting uh, girls. So one of the documents that has been circulating online is called Counseling Sexual Abuse. And it strongly suggests that victims are to blame for their own abuse. The guide instructs victims to ask themselves, why did God let this happen? Oh, my God. Is it a result of immodest dress? Indecent exposure? Being out from protection of our parents? Jesus Christ. Being with evil friends? (laughs) Evil friends? Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, Apparently they have, you know superhero friends and they have evil ah they're here to conquer the world yeah they're friends with the joker or something (laughs) um (laughs) then well something else that's disturbing here is there's there's a diagram that shows the parts of our being and it's several circles and in the middle circle it says the spirit Mm-hmm. And then as you go out, it says the soul. And then as you go out, the furthest circle is the body, meaning it's the least, least important, the least important right, part yeah. of your being. And some people that have been interviewed that were a part of this program said that they were taught about sexual abuse in this way, saying, well, it only affects your body, not the most important parts, which are your, your spirit and, and your, your soul. soul. Right. That's very disturbing. The two things that are imaginary. The two things that cannot be measured or confirmed to exist. The body, we know exists because we can see it. We can test it. We can measure it. The spirit and the soul, these are abstract things. Right. There's another manipulative thing on here that says, if you had to choose no physical abuse or mighty in spirit, what would you choose? Uh, so they're saying, oh, well, this abuse has made you mighty in spirit. So, it, so in in retrospect, it was a good thing, right? Because the most important part of you is more strong now, right? So, by this logic, are they advocating everyone be sexually abused, right? If you become greater in spirit, this is terrible. I mean, the fact that they are one just pumping out kids one after the other after the other. Right now, they're trying for their twentieth fucking kid. Her clown car vagina crying out for help for the heavens to hear and take mercy upon it. They want to shove another watermelon-sized child. They they probably just fall out at this point. I mean, right? Do you think that labor is just like they have a hard time keeping the baby in for nine months at this point? Or what, what do you think? Well, you have a fear of being awakened by farts. I do. She... Probably is just awakened by another kid joining them in the bedroom that just squeezed its way out. It crawled out of there. It's a very interesting sitch. 20 kids. Listen, I grew up in Mormon country in Idaho, and there was a family that had, I think, 12 or 13 kids, and we all made jokes about, you know, we know that one of the kids got sent to their room like five years ago, and they just got forgotten about, and that was only 13 kids. They've got another seven kids on top of that. Or twelve, uh, you know, six kids. It's sickening, and then they're they're indoctrinating with these pernicious, terrible beliefs that 
you need to look within yourself. What is wrong with you that caused this abuse? That's that's sickening. It don't look to the to the the abuser, to the criminal, to the vile, evil human being who did this to you. Look to yourself and and find find victimhood there. Find blame there. Right. And psychiatrist Dr. Gail Saltz was recently interviewed about this very subject because a lot of the media attention has focused on Josh Duggar. And I think that's positive because the news needs to get out when there's a predator yes. that is still accepted in many communities, which he still is. He's being defended everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, but many people have been saying, well, we need to turn the attention to the sisters. And maybe that's true. But I also think they need to be left alone because they're the victims. That's and we right. still need to focus on the the predator, the perpetrator. But Gail Salt says sexual abuse generally leaves a victim with feelings of shame, anger, and guilt. But when it's a family member who commits the abuse, those emotions can be amplified because the betrayal is so much worse. Add to that a famous family in the public eye, and there may be additional pressure from other family members to close the ranks, stay quiet, and protect the abusive sibling. Now, that's sure. exactly what occurred in this right. situation. Well, you know, here's the thing. and it is, It's a fine line that we need to walk as and I don't know that I would be as bold as to consider myself part of the media, although we do cover and we have an audience and, you know, we are we should be responsible about what we say here. Um, there is a fine line to be walked relative to talking about the sisters, because I think when there's no mention of the victims, it creates this kind of sanitary antiseptic environment where well there's no victim we're not even acknowledging that there's a victim it's just this vague concept of the sisters well when we know more details about the victims the public's outrage i think becomes more because it's personifying there's putting a face on the actual harm that was done so i'm not saying name them or out them in any way but it's good to know and put a face to the prospective possible victims. You know what I mean? Yes. So anyway, anything else on the terrible, reprehensible, however forgiven Josh Duggar? No, but I did come across this term Hicksploitation oh, TV. Yeah. <laughs> And, I saw that same article. Yeah, it's from the Daily Beast. Kevin Fallon wrote this article, and he's talking about the the Duggar effect, the end of Hicksploitation TV, and this includes, you know, Duck Dynasty, Honey Boo Boo, yeah, yeah. Mom, um, all that stuff. And it really is. These are just, you know. It is Hicksploitation. Yeah. They're exploiting these just backwoods, backwater folks. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. uh because it's entertaining. It's all, oh, look at these fucking simpletons on the TV. This is entertaining for me because I live in the, the real world. They're churning out child after child. It's the big, fat, ugly mom with the pageant chubby girl. It's the, the crazy bearded hillbillies who talk about their God all the time. It's, they're out of the, the, out of the norm, out of the mainstream. The problem is by having them on TV all the time, it normalizes their views. It normalizes their behavior. That's a bummer. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we have two new Republican candidates running to be president of the United States. George Pataki 
former governor of New York, announced just the other day. It is to preserve and protect that freedom that this morning I announce I am a candidate for the Republican nomination for president of the United States. Thank you. And it'll be, it'll be nice to see exactly what his views are, what his platform will be as a candidate, because he will certainly be more moderate, more liberal than the likes of the other man who just recently joined, the aforementioned Rick Santorum. I am proud to stand here among you and for you, the American workers who have sacrificed so much to announce that I am running for President of the United States. We're getting to a point here. Just hang on. (laughs) I'll offer a bold vision for America, one that's clear and conservative, that has plans for reform, and has a proven track record that I have in my time in service. Step one in taking back America. Step one. That's the line that I wanted to talk about. Not necessarily the announcement, because it was kind of we were just waiting for it. But it's step one in taking back America. Taking it back from what? It's been overrun. It's been, we've been invaded and taken over by an occupying force. What are you taking it back from, Rick? It's weird. Well, from a a Democrat. Yeah, it's, with him, it's more than just a party switch. Because he's not just your standard Republican. He's a nutter-butter fundamentalist Catholic weirdo. He's extra juicy in that department. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's a he's an anti-birth control. He's a big pope. No no reason, no no legal reason for an abortion kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Rape or incest, it's not the baby's fault. That would be his viewpoint. <laughs> well, it, well, it's not the baby's fault. We can all agree on that. Well, it doesn't have to be a baby. If you let it get to be a baby, then we've got a bigger problem. No, I'm I'm making <laughs> I'm making a joke that no one would be against saying that some something that a being as a result of rape or incest is at fault for something. Right, it's just a course. weird. It's like a non-argument. I That's don't even right. know why they well, say it's, it. it. It creates some sense of emotionality in people, and they they jump on board with that. I don't think I think it's fringe, so it's not. Not a lot of people are jumping on board, but it, it just lets you know where he is, where he stands, what his ethos is relative to America, and letting his religion cloud his particular political philosophy. So he's in the race. The other thing that's up this week, actually today, this Sunday, May 31st, segments of the Patriot Act are up for expiration and there is consternation on that matter obama sat and answered a few questions or gave a brief statement as it were on the matter and had this to say on sunday at midnight a whole bunch of authorities 
that we use in order to prevent terrorist attacks in this country expire. Now, fortunately, the House of Representatives was able to put forward a piece of legislation, the USA Freedom Act, that received overwhelming bipartisan support. And what it does is not only continue authorities that currently exist and are not controversial. For example, the capacity of the FBI or our other law enforcement agencies to uh, use what's called a roving wiretap. So if we know that there's an individual who, uh, where there's probable cause that that individual might be uh, engaged in uh, a terrorist act but is switching cell phones, we can move from cell phone to cell phone. Not a controversial provision. Those authorities would be continued. What the USA Freedom Act also does is it reforms the bulk data collection program that had been of significant concern and that I promised we could reform uh, over a year and a half ago. So we now have Democrats and Republicans in both the House and the Senate who think this is the right way to go. We've got our law enforcement and national security teams and civil liberties uh, proponents and advocates who say this is the right way to go. The only thing that's standing in the way is a handful of senators uh, who are resisting these reforms, despite law enforcement and the IC saying, let's go ahead and get this done. So we've only got a few days. These authorities expire on Sunday at midnight. The clip went on, but I turned it off because he he loves the bully pulpit. Anyway, uh, some of those senators that he is talking about, or at least one of those senators, is Rand Paul, who absolutely opposes, rightfully so, I believe, opposes many of these different sections of the Patriot Act, which, by the way, we just got an alert, coincidentally enough, just as we're doing the show right now, that the no deal has been reached and they will sunset. They will expire those particular intrusive measures that uh, statutes which give the the National Security Agency NSA the, the NSA and the DIA the Defense Intelligence Agency the CIA not so much the CIA because that what is that has to do with foreign intelligence but the NSA they operate within the borders of the United States so Rand Paul is one of those few senators that Obama was referring to and he has not been happy and has been very active in trying to block this uh, renewal. Republican Senator Rand Paul, he says that he believes these programs are illegal and unconstitutional, and he says he's ready to block this from happening again tomorrow. He's both against the, uh, exp uh, the extension of the Patriot Act, but also this House-passed bill, unless he says significant changes are made to weaken the government's uh, surveillance powers. He tweeted out just moments ago, there has to be another way. We must find it together. So tomorrow, I will force the expiration of the NSA illegal spy program. At this time, Randy, clearly there is no firm way forward. Randy. And in terms of the timetable, I mean, we know the program doesn't expire until Sunday at midnight, but parts of it are actually going to start shutting down before the Senate even meets, right? 
That's absolutely right. That's something that the White House has been warning about exactly one minute before the Senate convenes uh, tomorrow at 4 p.m. Uh, these programs will start shutting down at 3.59 p.m. in the afternoon. They say that NSA will have to start winding down aspects of their surveillance programs. They said they'll have to reach, reach out to and inform phone companies, also um, shut down servers and tweak some software on their end, really clearly, clearly making the case uh, that there's a small window of the time for the Senate to act. They say say unless the Senate acts and passes this into law and President Obama signs that legislation into law by 8 p.m. tomorrow night, uh, then these measures can be reversed of that winding down. But they say after 8 p.m., then uh, little chance that this can be uh, wrapped up and, and, and reversed in any fair amount of time. Randy? Yeah, sounds like it's going to be a messy day in Washington for sure. Uh, CNN's Sunland Serpati at the White House. Thank you. And there we have it. And here we are. It didn't happen. So good. The government doesn't need my metadata. The government doesn't need to know whom I'm calling to successfully and effectively defend this country against terrorism. You don't need... I'm a citizen of this country. You don't need to spy on me. You need to spy on those outside of the country, which you don't need the Patriot Act to do. And if you do, then you need a, a smarter, more restrictive bill. I don't like to give carte blanche because we've seen what happens when the government has all the power to do whatever they want to do. It becomes a dangerous situation. So continuing with the GOP, a man named Bruce Bartlett was on with Brian Stelter talking about none other than Fox News. And Bruce Bartlett isn't some liberal. Bruce Bartlett is uh, a conservative. He is a GOP activist. A historian. Yeah. And he has come out and said that he believes that what Fox News is doing is damaging the GOP. In the first part of the clip, Brian Stelter talks about the GOP debates that are coming up here in August, which we've talked about on previous episodes. And they're only going to be having the, the top 10 who are leading in the polls be a part of the debates. And he thinks that that is, uh, lends itself to what Bruce Bartlett talks about with his opinion about Fox. Something very important for the 2016 election happened this week. Something that I bet you didn't hear about. The entry rules for the first Republican primary debates were announced. Might not sound exciting, but it is very important because Fox News is only going to include the 10 candidates who are faring best in the polls. That means as of today, actually, Carly Fiorina and, you know, uh, Bobby Jindal and Lindsey Graham would be among the uninvited candidates. Now, the polls will change between now and the first debate in August, but that's how it's going to be. CNN's going to do it a little bit differently and have a two-part debate. One part We'll have the top eight to 10 candidates according to those polls. And the other part, we'll have candidates that aren't polling as well, but at least have 1% of support in the polls. 1% will be the threshold. So what's Fox gonna do with those folks? Those folks that are around 1% or above? Well, it says they'll be invited on other Fox shows the day of the debate, but not on the debate stage. Now these rules are a great example of how Fox News influences politics. Fox has long been the favorite channel of the Republican Party, but is it actually bad for the GOP? The question was reignited this week, not by John Stewart or a liberal columnist, but by the well-respected conservative historian Bruce Bartlett. 
He wrote this paper, it's titled, How Fox News Changed American Media and Political Dynamics, using statistics to charge that Fox makes its viewers less educated, and that the channel even dampened turnout for Mitt Romney in the last presidential election. This is the uh, rare scholarly paper that has stirred a media frenzy, maybe because Bartlett worked in the administrations of President Reagan and George H.W. Bush. And he's joining me right here on the set in Washington. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Uh, let me read uh, one line uh, that I thought stood out to me and a lot of other people. You said, uh, it can almost be called self-brainwashing. Many conservatives now refuse to even listen to any news or opinion not vetted through Fox and to believe whatever appears on it as the gospel truth. Self-brainwashing. I don't think that word is too strong. Uh, I think uh, many conservatives live in a bubble where they uh, uh, watch only Fox News on television, they listen only to conservative talk radio, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, many of the same people. Uh, they, when they go on to the internet, they look at only uh, conservative websites like National Review, Newsmax, World Net Daily. And so they are completely in a universe in which they are hearing the same exact ideas, the same arguments, uh, the, the same limited amount of data repeated over and over and over again, and that's, that's brainwashing. And do you believe that's more true for conservatives than for liberals? Yeah, I do, I believe that, but... Uh, uh, what causes that? Well, I think for a long time the media was, did tilt to the, uh, a bit to the left. And uh, so I think that uh, conservatives, once they got a media of their own, just sort of glommed onto it like a, a, a man in the desert, you know, being given some water. They, they drank very heavily uh, from the Fox waters. And, uh, but I don't, what I don't think they've quite come to understand yet is it's a double-edged sword. Mm. Uh, there's no question that Vo Fox helps the Republican Party enormously, but it's not 100% positive. There are some negatives, and I think we're starting to see some of them in this uh, election cycle. You're bringing up, you know, what basically you're describing negative consequences of having a channel that does reinforce a viewer's beliefs. That's right. One of the things, I, I cite a study in, in my paper where I talk about how uh, Fox viewers in, in the 2012 election cycle tended to be, have more wishful thinking, so to speak. That is, they were more confident, unrealistically confident, I think, based on objective analysis of the polls. And you may remember there was this uh, website, what was it, Unskewed Polls? Right. Remember that? Right. Where, where some, uh, it was just widely, widely believed in, in Republican circles that all of the polls were, were biased against Romney and that he was actually doing really, really well, much better, and was going to win pretty easily. And, and as we know, Karl Rove, among others, was shocked uh, on election night when, when he didn't do as well as expected. So circling back to that point I made in the beginning about the debate rules, do you think those debate rules where only the top 10 uh, contenders will be allowed onto the stage, does that help the Republican Party or, or hurt the It depends, I suppose, on who gets left off the list. Mm. I mean, certain candidates have broad but not deep support. Others have very deep but not broad support. And so I think perhaps towards Fox News may, uh, may be affected. Uh, Bruce, thanks for being here. Thank thanks you. for the thoughtful conversation this morning. Okay. <laughs> you know, I kind of agree. I... I not on the debate thing. I think that, listen, it's unmanageable to have 20 candidates on stage, 15 candidates on stage. Right. 10 is almost unmanageable. So I think what CNN is doing is probably a good thing where you've got your, your leading candidates 
and then with your your non-leading candidates. Or if they were to have a dra- a draw bag, like a bingo game, where just names randomly come in and then they split the field. So you have some of your lesser um, supported candidates through the polls there, as well as your top tier candidates. But that would have to be however they decide to do it. Um, I do agree, though, on the da- the damage and the danger that Fox News... Um, creates that it does start this weird echo chamber thing. We watched the returns come in and happened to be watching Fox at the time when Carl Rove freaked out on Megyn Kelly and would not accept that Mitt Romney had been beaten because he was convinced in his mind that the polls were going to come down in a different way. And it's just not the case. You, He doesn't look at, you know, Sun Tzu talks about in the art of war, knowing your enemy like you know yourself. Be close, understanding the enemy. And that is something that is lost on the American political system because they only look at their own polls. They only think about their own data. So it might be a valid claim to make what he was saying, that he believes that conservatives are more likely to be trapped in this echo chamber than liberals, although he said that he believes both do. I think that's a hard thing to say. Uh, It might be true, like I'm saying, Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely see the same on both sides. I do I do too. I what I think it's a it's a, a cautionary tale that if you don't want to end up like Fox News viewers, largely Fox News viewers are conservative and getting sucked into this reassuring sense of 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 your side. Right. That's what I'm kind of nervous about is people will hear this and go, "Well, see, I'm right. Those conservatives, they're all full in their echo chamber and and the liberals aren't as bad as conservatives." No. Well, there still are MSNBC <laughs> viewers. You know what I mean? Yeah, there are still there are still liberals who will not accept uh, another point of view and and who believe conservatives are evil, just well, like conservatives for, believe liberals are evil and won't accept another point of view. For instance, this this article that I've been seeing amongst my most liberal Facebook friends who are sharing some poll, some article, I think it's from the dailycos.com that says Bernie Sanders has in, in, he's enjoying more more support, more wide support than any other candidate or something like that. What's what's the title of the article? Bernie Sanders has more support than every 2016 Republican candidate in new poll. Right. Which which leads someone to believe that he has just wild support. The difference is, is that there are three Democratic candidates for president of the United States and there are eight for the Republican side. That's not even to talk about the fact that there's a separation between Democrats aren't going to be voting for Republicans for the nomination. We're talking about a primary race. You know what I mean? Right. So in this article, the latest Quinnipiac poll revealed that five Republicans are tied at the top of the Republican field. Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, Ben Carson, Mike Huckabee, each at 10%. And this article says that Bernie Sanders in the same poll was supported by 15% of Democrats for their party's nomination. And he's obviously trailing Hillary Clinton, who is at 57%. But they say that his 15% made him the second most popular presidential candidate in the country, only because those other candidates are only at 10% each. Right, which is disingenuous for the fact 
that if you threw in three other Democrats or five other Democrats, you those numbers would would skew very differently. If Jerry Brown from California was running, it would be a whole different ball game relative to percentages. The fact that O'Malley from from Maryland is running and no one even knows who the hell he is makes it a different game. So when you're sharing, again, this goes back to what we talk about all the time. If you're sharing an article from Politicus USA or whatever the hell that website is, or from the mine unleashed, you choose your sources wisely. Just because they're referencing a reputable poll, the Quinnipiac poll, doesn't mean that the the conclusions that they're taking away from the data and the headlines that they're creating are accurate. Because yeah, what they're saying is absolutely true, but it doesn't mean that Bernie Sanders has a better chance at the presidency than any of the Republicans. That's not what that means. Because he's only fighting against effectively Hillary Clinton for the nomination right now. Right. So a more a more sensible comparison would be Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and then Jeb Bush and Scott Walker. Yeah. So if if Republicans Unfor- only Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> right. If if the Republicans were surveyed and only had two options, just like the Democrats only have two options, mm-hmm. then you would see, well where is this split? Right. And where do you think Bernie Sanders is going to fall out of those four people? Right. He's going to be last. It would probably be something like 60-40 for Jeb Bush and Scott Walker. And then you have 85-15 for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. So both of the Republicans, if given that scenario we just talked about, would dwarf in support Bernie Sanders, which isn't to say that they're better or more qualified or anything else. It's just saying it's the way you look at the numbers. So in world news, Ireland this last week, another thing we missed by me drinking expired milk, according to Brittany Page, Ireland this week is the first country to put on the ballot gay marriage and let it be decided by the voters. A senior Vatican official has attacked the legislation of gay marriage in Ireland. The referendum that overwhelmingly backed marriage equality last weekend was a defeat for humanity, he claimed. (laughs) Wow. Quote, I was deeply saddened by the result. The church must take accountability of this reality, but in the sense that it must strengthen its commitment to evangelization. I think that you cannot just talk of a defeat for Christian principles, but of a defeat for humanity. It's sickening i mean how can it how could someone who represents an organization that is effectively responsible for the thousands of child rapes stand with a straight face and say say that gay marriage this referendum in ireland is a defeat for humanity what an arrogant jerk off Ugh. anyway so it passed by large margins i think the the percentages if you have them there, I think it's like 61 or 62%. Yes, 62%. Yeah, so it's, you know, oddly enough, though, I heard from, I was reading some, some the Archbishop of Ireland or the Archbishop of wherever, I apologize for not knowing the political structure of the Catholic Church, but he had some interesting things to say. The Archbishop of Dublin, he said that, It is a social revolution. It's very clear that if this referendum 
is an affirmation of the views of young people, then the church has a huge task ahead. And then he also went on to say that the church needs to do a reality check. I don't know where, where that would square with Vatican officials, but this is an arch, the Archbishop of Dublin. Um, but the church certainly needs to do a reality check because if they're going to turn their face from wide, overwhelming support, 62% of the voting population, they're going to be losing members. They're going to be losing support in wide swaths across the world. Right. And they'll effectively lose power because of it. You know, kind of related to this, not specifically about the Ireland issue, but Rubio, Marco Rubio, presidential candidate Marco Rubio, one of the eight, the elite eight, he had some things to say. Well, he always has something to say about the gays, but there was a, an article in the Huffington Post written that coined a term. I don't know if he coined it or it's the, it's the first time I've heard it that I like, and I think I'm going to start using it. He used the phrase, rather than homophobia, he used the phrase homo-hostility. Right, and the author of this article, his name is Paul Brandeis Rosenbush. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for having a name like that. Why can't everybody just name, be named Smith, uh, right? That would help Brittany Page so much. So he wrote about how Senator Rubio was talking about gay marriage, and he said this. If you think about it, we are at the water's edge of the argument that mainstream Christian teaching is hate speech, because today we've reached the point in our society where if you do not support same-sex marriage, you are labeled a homophobe and a hater. Now, the author of this article says, just as, Robio, just as Rubio would have done anything to save his son from drowning, because Marco Rubio did save his son from drowning, right? he shouldn't be surprised when we and thousands of other same-sex couples and family mobilize to defend ourselves against the rhetoric and politics that would harm us. Rubio may not be homophobic. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not scared of gay people. However, in delegitimizing my marriage and trying to take away our legal status, he is exhibiting what I would like to call homo hostility toward my family. I love it. Seriously, it's the greatest. I'm not a fan of we got to change. We got to, you know, we went from you can't say disabled or you can't say handicapped. I don't even know what the terms are anymore, but there are these different terms we went from Oriental to now it's Asian, and then it was—it's not black anymore. It's—it's African American. All these different terms that try to separate everybody and label and name everybody. I've never liked homophobia. I've never liked Islamophobia. I love homo hostile, homo hostility, because that's what it is. That really congeals everything that it is. It's not fear of homosexuals or the homosexual agenda, quote unquote. Right. It's anger. It's hostility. Absolutely. It's, it's hatred, anger, and hostility toward their way of life, their way of being. It's awesome. So I hope I remember this because I really want to start using homo hostile, homo hostility on the show. Remind me. We need to do that. Yes. Really good. So a few months ago on the show, we talked about Bo Bergdahl, who was a captive, a POW for many years, who had been captured by the Taliban in Afghanistan after having walked off his post. In the course of the discussion, I said that cooler heads should prevail. We should wait for the government, the military specifically, to make its case, decide what they're going to do because they would do the right thing. Well, they decided to court-martial him. 
that case is in, in process right now. But in the course of his release, details from the White House were let go that there was a prisoner swap for him. That five prisoners from Gitmo, from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, were released from that detention facility in exchange for the freedom of Bo Bergdahl. That was the, the part of it that I had an issue with, was that they were letting a five known bad actors loose for his, for his release. We love getting a soldier back. That's awesome. But letting go five potentially dangerous individuals was problematic for me. And here we are about a year later and they're getting ready to potentially have their freedom. There are grave concerns the five senior Taliban members released from Guantanamo Bay in exchange for U.S. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl a year ago may soon return to the battlefield in Afghanistan. The militants, known as the Taliban Five, have been living in Qatar for the past 12 months, unable to leave the country. However, that travel ban is set to expire. It's understood U.S. officials have been in discussion with the Qataris about the possibility of extending the travel ban, but no announcement has been made. Sergeant Bergdahl was held captive by the Taliban for almost five years after leaving his post in eastern Afghanistan. Earlier this year, the U.S. Army charged him with desertion. Over the past 12 months, it's alleged at least one of the men monitored in Qatar contacted militants, while members of the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Haqqani network reportedly travelled to Qatar to meet with some of the Taliban Five. The alarming development comes as the Taliban continues to launch deadly attacks. Less than 10,000 US forces remain in country after the longest war in American history. And members of Congress fear the Taliban Five will play an even more direct role in attacks against these U.S. soldiers if they're set free. So here's the deal. This is yet another gaffe, massive gaffe on the part of the Obama administration and their war on terror and their foreign policy. This is why you don't do prisoner exchanges, especially when dealing with Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and these, these types, this is bad news. That not only have we already caught one of them making contact with their former command back in Afghanistan, but members of the Haqqani Network, which is an Al-Qaeda-affiliated group, are also making contact with them in Qatar. Not good. Not good at all. And we'll see what happens. And I, God damn, um, this could be catastrophic. And it would be blood on the hands of President Obama himself because ultimately the buck stopped there. So we'll see. We'll hope for the best, but I hope they're preparing for the worst because this isn't good. Speaking of not good, ISIS, another radical terrorist organization, they just came out and they explained that President Obama's wife, Michelle, probably wouldn't fetch any more than $40. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing, but goddamn. Wouldn't fetch any more than $40 on the slave trade network that they will initiate once they take over the United States. 
Right. This comes from the newest issue of English language ISIS propaganda magazine. <laughs> That's I, a thing, by the way. Yeah. I, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but it promises to bring slave markets to the West. And Michelle Obama, not worth much, according yeah, to $40. Them. That's uh, not a lot. So in the magazine, they say... Uh, I. The female columnist in this magazine says, I swear by Allah, O you who feign to be knowledgeable and shout with falsehood in every gathering, surely the slave markets will be established against the will of the politically correct. And who knows, maybe Michelle Obama's price won't even exceed a third of a dinar. And a third of a dinar is too much for her. And the estimate of a single golden dinar is $139 right now. So when she says a third is too much for her, that's where the forty dollars comes in. So this in. Assyrian dinar, yeah, I don't know. I wonder what uh, I wonder what dinar they're talking about because uh, Iraqi dinars right now, under the current government, aren't worth very much. I have about two hundred and fifty thousand dinar, <laughs> and it's worth about two hundred bucks. Hmm. So maybe they have their own ISIL currency that she's money marketing and understanding the value of but yeah i don't know but clearly they are a problem i mean this is funny and we're talking about this tongue-in-cheek but they really want to bring slave markets to the west yes and if they had their way that would be what they do because unlike christianity islam slavery is absolutely good to go christians argue it away all the time but in 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 Islam, it's justified. It's it's called for. There are rules just like there are in Christianity, except they haven't gone through their the reformation that's sorely needed, is so sorely needed in Islam. So, uh, take them at their word. They want to fly their flag over the White House. They want to overtake the United States. And they want to start slave markets in which Michelle Obama would be worth $40. So let's wrap it up article this week talked about, well, something was declassified this week that we found to be interesting. And it happens to be the interview questions to become a part of Al-Qaeda. The Al-Qaeda job application form. Now, that's... They, oh, they, they have an actual application form. It's not just interview questions. No, it instructs you to please write clearly and legibly. <laughs> It's like IBM. You're just you're applying for a job with Microsoft or Google. They also say, please refrain from sharing the information you provide on the application with each other because it is a trust to Almighty Allah. Mm. There's many, many things that it starts with that before you can even start answering the questions. But some of the questions are pretty interesting. So let's just read a couple of the questions. Date of your arrival in the land of jihad. Mm, okay. How long do you plan to stay in the jihadi theater? <laughs> That sounds like a visa question. When you're applying for a visa to come to the United States, you know, how long do you plan to stay? Is it tourist activity or business? Education or, level. Or jihad. <laughs> then they ask for your education level. Okay. When did Almighty Allah bless you with this gift? Mm, gift of what? Of whatever you I, claim to have? Yeah, I guess. Juggling, just, maybe? Yeah, whatever <laughs> gift that he has bestowed. Right. How much of the Holy Quran have you memorized? Mm. Did you study Sharia? Who was your instructor? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not big on his particular version of Sharia. So you can, you can 
you should probably shouldn't have mentioned that guy. Any hobbies or pastimes? <laughs> you made that one up. No. No, really? Yeah. Any hobbies or well, you know, I like uh, model plane building. Mm-hmm. You know. Legos. Model buildings. I, I have a, a home scale model of the World Trade Center at home. It's great. Probably a good answer. <laughs> what is your favorite material? Science or literature? Only two. I don't know if you have to choose between science or literature. What if you like science literature? I think it's just best if you say literature. Yeah. Well, then the Quran, clearly. That would be your... I like literature. It's my fave. Okay, then they go on, you know, have you ever been in jail or prison? Mm-hmm. List your previous occupations. Right. Have you received military training? Do you wish to execute a suicide operation? Wow. This ha- is an unusual question. Yeah, that's, well, not one you'd probably get at Google or Microsoft. What ideas and views do you, your family, your acquaintances have had about jihad in Allah's sake here? Hmm. It's, it is strange to me that they have a pseudo kind of a weird bureaucratic questionnaire, like a formal standard questionnaire that they would give to recruits or prospective members of the organization. That's- okay, here's what it ends with. Who should we contact in case you become a martyr? <laughs> There's a space for their name, their address, Listen, and their phone numbers. Every every organization needs an emergency contact. This is just in the case that you blow yourself up with your cartoon hot dog vest. You know what I mean? Just in case. <laughs> just in case you become a martyr. Yeah. Well, you know, in the case that maybe there's some freak accident happens and the vest goes off, we want to know who to contact. But... Like, if you get shot in the head in the battlefield, eh, you know, you're on your own. We're not going to contact them. And then it ends with, praise Allah, Lord of all worlds. Of course it does. Oh, the peace be upon him. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, no, wait. That's for Muhammad. The prophet Muhammad, a peace be upon him. Right. P-B-U-H. So they, so they want you, according to Vox here, they want you to be goal-oriented. What objectives would you like to accomplish <laughs> on your jihad path? And then you also need to be well-rounded. They want to know your hobbies, pastimes. It, it, it is awesome. It's a little bit of everything. Were you class president? Were you involved in student government at all? What are your interests? What kind of extracurricular activities are you into? Prospective Al-Qaeda member. I wonder if ISIS is to the level yet that they have a formal questionnaire. For their members or for their perspective. We'll see. These were, these were, uh, this was included in a slew of documents recovered from Osama bin Laden's compound in Abbottabad. Wow. Unbel- I mean, seriously, shocking. This, this was very, very interesting. So I guess if you want to, we'll put this on the Facebook page, of course, if you want to check it out, like we do everything. And if you're not liking the Facebook page, go like the Facebook page. If you're not subscribed to the show in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, subscribe to the show so it just gets automatically through the magic of the internet delivered to you every every twice a week twice a week. Go do that. Don't go to the website to listen to the show. You don't have to stream it. Subscribe through a podcatcher, whatever you have, iTunes or Stitcher, do that. The other thing is I want to hear from you guys. 657-464-7609 Sound off with your opinion. Give us something. We love you. We appreciate you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, if you appreciate what we do and you would like to give back 
other than listening twice a week. Go to dollamore.com and visit the Amazon search bar. There you can get to Amazon to purchase whatever products. And if you're going to spend your money anyway, you may as well do it there to help support your favorite show filled with news. News. And ridiculous comments. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. You would never run into a situation where you are awakened by farts. <laughs>